I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Arnold Milstein, a professor of medicine at the Stanford School of Medicine and director of the Stanford Clinical Excellence Research Center. Dr. Milstein has written a perspective article about reducing healthcare costs by creating a learning health system. Dr. Milstein, what do you and the Institute of Medicine, which has issued a report on this, mean by a learning health system? Well, Steve, historically, you know, most clinicians and, uh, and frontline health workers viewed their job as, uh, as uh, taking existing science and, uh, and doing their best to apply it in ways that would benefit their, their patient's health. And the, the notion of a learning health system extends that in two ways. Uh, the most important way is that it asks healthcare workers, including physicians, to take on a second major role beyond delivering care, and that is the role of continuously examining current methods of delivering care and asking the question, are there ways in which through how care is delivered, we might uh, further improve patients' health? And so it, it is expanding the job description from simply providing good care to continuously examining care processes and, uh, and hypothesizing new and better ways of creating and supporting patients' health goals. The, the second way in, in which uh, the notion of a learning health system builds upon, you know, historically how most clinicians uh, have viewed their work uh, is it also implicitly asks clinicians to think about uh, goals for, for the healthcare system beyond their patients' immediate health goals. The essence of, those, of, the, of that broader set of goals uh, addresses what, what the Institute of Medicine has referred to as value. This moves beyond what has historically been the main focus of clinical work, which has been to improve uh, patients' outcomes, and to, be, and to begin to put on a more equal uh, footing um, patients' experience of the care process. Uh, which is, uh, you know, an important aspect of outcome, but many clinicians have not viewed as, as perhaps as important as the clinical outcome itself. Another, another element of, of this notion of value that historically has not been a, a primary focus of clinician thinking uh, is to ask the question, how do we not only maximize how what we do uh, helps the patients reach their personal health goals and do it in a way that, uh, that creates the most favorable uh, possible uh, patient experience of their care, but also how do we do it uh, in a way that best conserves society's uh, pool of resources that, uh, that has been set aside to, to pay for health care. So it's the second, way, the second primary way in which the, the IOM's vision of a learning health system differs from when I was, uh, when I was a medical student and, and in medical training is this notion of, uh, of thinking about not just the patient uh, in front of you, uh, but also the patient as a representative of society as a whole, which, which basically funds the healthcare system with, uh, with, with, with income that they forego, whether it's in the form of, of payroll deductions or taxes that they pay. So what new qualities would need to be fostered to create such a system in the United States? Well, probably the, the single most important change would be to train uh, healthcare workers, both uh, who, people who are in the course of learning to enter the health professions as well as those who are already in the health professions, to view the care process itself as a target of problem solving. That is, rather than to presume that you know, how we provide care today is the best possible way of applying 
known uh, medical science and, and, and existing biomedical technologies. But to train uh, both current and future you know, healthcare workers to regard their work as a hypothesis and that every day they ought to devote some effort to reexamining and ask themselves how might the way we're currently delivering care now might be modified in order to uh, offer a, uh, an opportunity to deliver more value uh, to our patients and, and following that, that hypothesis to work with one's colleagues to, uh, to design uh, tests of, of those hypotheses, uh, whether in, in small scale or large scale, and examine whether or not indeed the three elements of value were improved. If they were, to take responsibility on an ongoing basis for embedding that in how care is delivered. Uh, and, uh, and if not, then to wake up the next day and to begin to uh, focus as a team and as an individual on imagining and then potentially testing a different hypothesis. And what are the barriers getting from here to there? Well, I, I think the, you know, the primary barrier is no, has nothing to do with uh, health care. It has to do with uh, innate characteristics of all humans. And that is the, you know, if uh, I think it was beautifully laid out in Daniel uh, Kahneman's, you know, recent uh, summary of uh, psychological evidence on, on human mental propensities called thinking fast and thinking slow, uh, humans are, are designed uh, inherently to be, you know, con- conservative of mental energy and attention. And accordingly, the biggest barrier to this notion of a learning health system unfolding is how biased we all are without realizing it toward uh, wanting to do the easiest thing, uh, which is uh, what we, in this case, uh, performing our clinical jobs today uh, identically as we have done it uh, yesterday and, uh, and the day before. That is, we are strongly biased toward habitual behaviors, and a learning health system poses a direct challenge to that uh, innate inclination of, of human beings. In your article, you describe provider and patient-directed incentives for improving healthcare value, but the incentives may not help if physicians and healthcare organizations don't know how to go about actually improving the care and the value of the care they deliver. So what should they be doing to begin creating more bang for the buck? Well, I think the best place to start uh, would be to examine what is now beginning to emerge as America's dashboard for enabling one provider to compare their value uh, to their patients relative to uh, their peers and and other institutional providers, and to begin to uh, invest effort in understanding what one's peers who are generating more value for for their patients, how they are doing their jobs, and and then begin to ask oneself, what hypotheses does that imply with respect to how we conduct our care delivery processes? I think the nicest example to sort of go back to, and I, I wish I had the, the reference uh, readily at hand, but I'll, uh, it, is, uh, it is easily searchable. And that is the, the account of a, of a clinician at St. Peter's Hospital in Albany, New York, um, which was written up in one of our respected peer review journals, as to you know, the process that you know, he and his colleagues went through when, uh, when New York, you know, about 15 or 20 years ago, broke the ice uh, nationally with the first risk-adjusted uh, comparison of clinical outcomes uh, during hospitalization from coronary artery bypass grafting. And uh, the, the clinician's you know, article basically describes his, his thinking when at first he found out and his team found out that their risk-adjusted mortality for that form of cardiac surgery was dismal uh, relative to peers uh, in New York. 
and uh, and after you know an initial you know process of uh, understandably wanting to make sure that the the comparisons were valid, uh, which didn't fully satisfy him, but satisfied him enough. He and his team then went to the one of the centers uh, in the state of New York that had outstanding outcomes. This was NYU. You know, observed what his peers were doing, and from that, as the article described, you know, generated multiple hypotheses as to how the care process in Albany, at his hospital in Albany, might be improved. And then, you know, the article ends with uh, with exactly what those who advocate for a, a learning health system, you know, would hope for, which is a, a very substantial improvement uh, in risk-adjusted uh, mortality uh, for his hospital's uh, cardiac surgery service. So. Place step one is, you know, in the absence of, uh, of us, of, you know, at least at the beginning, we don't have, you know, uh, a nationally robust system for training healthcare workers and physicians in uh, what does it mean to be a, a robust participant in a learning health system. The, uh, the easiest place to start is simply to begin to mine uh, many of the, uh, the comparisons uh, initially at, uh, at hospital level and, and over time uh, at the individual physician office level. And, and begin to become curious as to uh, what peers who are ranking much more highly on value, how they're doing their work, and, and use that process of examining peers with superior outcomes to begin to generate some initial hypotheses. Meanwhile, you know, the, the good news is that even though our, our training resources in the U.S. for how to be a, a participant in a learning health system are, are limited, there are nonetheless a number of, of admirable organizations that are pushing forward you know, on this front. You know, I, uh, after disclosing to you that I'm a, a member of the board of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement in Boston, you know, I would, I would certainly cite IHI as sort of what is, I think, both globally in the U.S. is one of the leaders in this area, but they're by no means uh, the, the only resource. There are, there are multiple other uh, organizations uh, uh, dedicated to, uh, to this, this effort of benchmarking and the enablement of improvement hypothesis generation, uh, but it's, it, the IHI is certainly a nice illustration and probably the largest such organization operating in the U.S. You note in your article that physicians have successfully resisted policies that threaten their incomes. Do you see a lot of that kind of resistance going on here? That, that is why I refer to this moment as a nationally momentous uh, uh, moment, because it is uh, one of those times when I think you know physicians will you know will are being asked to sort of think more broadly, you know, beyond self-interest and consider the self-interest of other citizens uh, here in the U.S. and to begin to reflect on the opportunity cost of, uh, of not acting, even though that, you know, that action is not necessarily in one's own self-interest. I mean, I think as clinicians, we're in some ways from the beginning uh, and in some way we're drawn, you know, to this kind of thinking. As trainees, you know, we're for many years, you know, the, those of us who went into medicine realized that the, the the kinds of personal sacrifices that were required in terms of time and uh, and exhaustion levels, uh, those, fortunately, those have been somewhat diminished of, of re- in recent times. But uh, you know, medicine was regarded as a calling and something that, by definition, did not involve you know optimizing one's uh, best interests when patient benefit was at stake. Given what you say there, in what ways do you think physicians should be leading this charge? Well, the reason I believe that physicians should be leading the charge is that n- no one could do it more effectively. Uh, you know, many have, have commented that the single most powerful determinant of the level and cost of resources used in the healthcare system um, uh, is uh, physician decision making and uh, and physician behavior with respect to the influence that physicians uniquely have on patients' health behaviors. 
but uh, but even more important in the current environment in which uh, many of the most effective solutions or plausible solutions to uh, improving the value of the American healthcare system you know, hinge on American politics. You know, my belief is that the public um, attaches credibility uniquely uh, to the judgment and opinions and what their doctors say about health care. And I think this is a moment in which if physicians were to, uh, to, to speak, speak up in support of incentives to uh, better reward value, be it through so-called value-based pricing um, uh, of services or value-based uh, insurance design, I, I believe it would have an enormous impact on the public's view of strengthening incentives for value and therefore the political feasibility of not only uh, increasing the use of those incentives, but also better harmonizing them uh, across uh, American health care payers. Implicit in my last you know, comment is, is the, the challenge that even if, if every individual uh, payer of health care, whether it's a government payer uh, or a private insurance company or a self-insured employer, but if every payer is differently uh, defining value, uh, and or is using uh, very different means of uh, of encouraging it, that outcome, which is what we currently have in this country, will be a much less clear signal uh, to America's healthcare industry that value will be rewarded. So finally, how optimistic are you that we'll begin to bend the healthcare cost curve in this country? Well, you know, I would say that clearly the pessimists have an advantage, you know, in this debate because historically, uh, we, we've not, you know, succeeded terribly well as a nation in beginning to limit growth in healthcare spending as a, as a percentage of our national income, which is our ability to afford anything. Um, and uh, so, if, if neutral judges were to, you know, listen to an argument, I think the pessimists would likely held sway if the judges believe that the past is uh, is the best predictor of the future. Uh, uh, the thing that I think is most interesting and, and contains the most possibilities in terms of, you know, uh, continuation of national prosperity uh, broadly uh, here in the U.S. is uh, is that I believe that uh, that many American physicians are becoming uh, sensitized to the unintended effect uh, they are having on the federal government's uh, level of um, fiscal stress, as well as to uh, the impact that the healthcare system is inadvertently having on the global competitiveness of American workers and and, and their employers, and I'm, I believe that the signs of this are, are are around us. For example, over the last ten years, the signing by the majority of American medical specialty societies of the physician charter, committing physicians to uh, uh, a new and not very well articulated facet of the Hippocratic Oath, which is a, a commitment to. Uh, conserve society's limited pool of, of healthcare resources. Uh, that's, that's not a quote from the, from the charter, but that's, if you go through the charter's language, it's sort of couched in terms of, of assuring a just a distribution of society's healthcare resources. And then, and I think the, the most tangible and most recent evidence of this, of this openness of physicians to, to thinking about the, the welfare of the nation uh, with respect to impact of healthcare spending is the Choosing Wisely campaign, which is sort of the first you know, organized multi-specialty you know, effort uh, to begin to acknowledge that there's an, a, a very substantial list of, of things that physicians could do to improve the affordability and thereby the value of, of health care. Thank you, Dr. Milstein.